This is Coda Radio, episode 326 for September 21st, 2018. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and its related technologies. My name is Chris. We have no sponsors anymore, so I'll bring in our host, that man established down in the bayou. Well, at least in Florida. It's Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Well, good afternoon and welcome back from death, Mr. Vice President. <laughs> Thank you. Although making me laugh actually hurts, so. Whoops. This <laughs> good to be back yeah this is my first coder since uh, I, I wound up in the hospital quick version had appendicitis didn't realize it for three weeks thought i could just push through it like an idiot stopped by the er after things started getting rough they didn't catch it they said i was clear to fly down to texas i fly down to texas to seal the deal on all of the business arrangement stuff my appendix ruptures i end up in the hospital for a week Wes fills in like a gentleman and now i'm back for an excellent edition of the Coda Radio Program, perhaps perhaps the most excellent edition of the Coda Radio Program. Right. You had some issues going on earlier this week, too, so uh, we couldn't do our Monday recording. I apologize to everybody, but it's good to be back, Mr. Dominic. I've been looking forward to it all week. I uh, you know, I ordered three HomePods while we were gone. No, I'm kidding. I did not order. Did you color coordinate, or is it like two black, one white? We have to know. I would go all. I think I would go all one color if I was going to be a multi HomePod home. But I'm just kidding. No HomePods were ordered. Um, did get the new phone? I did because I'm on the upgrade program. So it's yeah, sort so of. So I, I could pay fifty five dollars a month, which includes the higher storage tier, Apple Care Plus, and the phone, and I could do that for the X, or I could just do that for the 10s too. So I just little underwhelmed, but I decided to pull the trigger and do the upgrade. So it should have been here yesterday, but there was a UPS snafu. So instead, I figured we'd just have a nice traditional show and just avoid talking about the whole topic altogether. What do you say? Yeah, because there's really nothing to say. It really so. isn't. Well, let's start with uh, L Feedback, which uh, I like this one. Comes in from Wyatt of Vulcan, and he says, uh, Hey, Chris and Mike, I thought about passing this article along to you guys to talk about on the show. It's an interesting read, especially if one is a 3D or graphics pro- programmer. Even though I'm not either of those two, I believe Vulkan is the future of 3D and graphics programming. I think having a memory model, which is the link that he just introduced to us, is a big deal. So the group behind Vulkan is called the Kronos Group. And uh, they've recently announced, I think it was uh, September 13th, a memory model or a memory consistency model, which uh, for a programming language describes how threads in a parallel processing system could access shared data and synchronize with each other while allowing compilers and the hardware the freedom to reorder and optimize memory access. Uh, They do this by precisely specifying where and how instructions and memory operations can be reordered and what the order effect of those memory operations can become and if if they can be visible or not to other threads as well. So, um, you know, memory models, I think probably the audience is familiar with that. They're, I guess... In the grand scheme of things, semi-new, but not really. Uh, but there really hasn't been anything like this for GPUs and and a graphics API. So th- that's the big story here, is on the 13th, Vulkan has become the world's first graphics API to include a formal memory model 
for its associated programming languages. Uh, they label it as a significant announcement, and I've been hearing from people in the audience throughout the week that they think it's kind of a big deal. And so uh, Wyatt passes this along to us, and he asks us the question, with Vulkan having universal support on Windows, Linux, and Android, yeah. um, and now with this introduction of a memory model, is this the future, um, and where does that leave the Apple platforms? What do you think? It's very odd now. I guess we could see a... Oh. And maybe there already is. I'll have to look. A Vulcan to metal transla- translation layer or something. I'll, I'll look that up. But what do you think about Vulcan in the future for a 3D graphics uh, API? Is it going to be all Vulcan? Well, I don't think it's going to be all anything, right? Uh, Vulcan is definitely, it's definitely looking more and more impressive. The problem is, you know, when we're thinking about graphics programming, I, we're probably in most cases going to be thinking about game development. And you just, most people don't directly program to the graphics uh, API, right? They use something like Unity or Cocos 2D or I'm dating myself here, Torque 2D, Torque 3D, or if you have money on Real Engine, that under the hood translates into Vulkan Metal or, you know, the OpenGL right? or DirectX yeah. here on Windows. Mm-hmm. I would prefer that you be correct, that Vulcan be... Because Vulcan's more... Like, Metal is not an open standard. Metal is a completely proprietary Apple thing. Same I have DirectX. Since, yeah, but, I mean, who cares about DirectX anymore? Whoops. Um, oh! They're both impressive. I, I tend to think that the trend of history is towards more open source and open mm. platforms winning. Hmm. I would wager that Vulcan will definitely be substantial. Um, my only hesitation on that is... Apple is weirdly stubborn when it comes to uh, adopting other people's standards. <laughs> so oh, yeah. they could literally literally just like not allow it on iOS. They're super stubborn until they just do it, like with uh, with the Qi uh, uh, charging or using NFC for Apple Pay. Like it's all the, every now and then they just go like, yeah, all right, we'll just do the uh, we'll just do the industry standard thing. Um, well, yeah, it's when they if when their alternative, right. when their proprietary standard fails, they go to the open standards. So, so yeah, no, I think Vulcan's awesome. It, it does look like there's, uh, and we've actually mentioned it on the show before, but I just I, we don't talk about it enough. Uh, Molten VK, which is a runtime that maps Vulcan to Apple's Metal Graphics Framework for iOS and macOS, and it is available as a free open source project on GitHub. So you have Molten VK, Molten VK, and there's also Molten GL, which is an implementation of OpenGL ES 2.0 API for the Metal Graphics Framework which probably be more predominant on iOS. But that is actually kind of encouraging because then that means you can still essentially use Vulkan on the Apple platforms and that might that might seal the deal for the uh for the Macs and the iOS devices. Yeah, I mean, but isn't it just a just a translation yes. layer? It's not, yeah. They use the term runtime that maps the calls is the term that they're using. All right, so what you're what you're so it's almost like almost like a wine sort of situation, right? Mm-hmm. You're at the end of the day, you were actually calling the metal, uh, the metal APIs, right? The trans, the translation proxy or agent, whatever you want to call it, is. Jonathan writes in. Uh, he thinks he's found something rotten. He says, "I'm a new developer. In, uh, I'm a new developer in, and they're trying me out as a contractor. You know, I, I think these are kind of common. You know, you start a job, the the nine month, six month contract, maybe even a year. Everything was good until I got access to work on their Linux boxes." I got an Excel sheet of all the usernames and password, and I felt sick when I got that. Mm. But I got really sick. Yeah, I got really sick when I saw the boxes that I'll be working on 
still had Linux kernel 2.6. It's a classic. I went to my team lead and was told that if the client does not want to pay for upgrades, then they do not get the upgrades. What is the best way do I what is the best way for me to tell my team, my lead, my boss or my department why and how bad of an idea this is? Oh boy, Jonathan. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I'll... I feel like he's asking the wrong question to tell you the truth. I think the question he should be asking is should I care? I know we all care. We care when things are not secure, when people are mismanaging technology, when infrastructure is weak. We care. Like, it goes against the hacker ethos. Like, you're supposed to take care of this stuff. It is, you you know, you are a steward of this stuff. You are, these machines are Jonathan's flock, and his flock is sick and unprotected, and it bothers him quite a bit. The thing is, Jonathan, is this is how it is in every single company you will ever work at for your entire life. (laughs) Yeah, it it really, yeah. I mean, although this is pretty extreme. I mean, there is such a, I definitely agree, except there's one thing that's kind of stuck in my craw about it. He said he's a contractor. Yes. If he was an employee, he wouldn't be liable. Mm. So there is such a thing as malpractice for for what we all do here, right? Um, That's why people spend money on errors and omissions insurance and in fact some some companies actually just call it malpractice insurance uh i i think you i would argue and i'm not an attorney so i don't know where you're where they you know because we're not regular like regular engineers but i definitely do think you have a duty to raise an objection and if you get shut down you get shut down right if they just say well no we don't care then so be it but yeah this i don't know this feels really bad i mean it's a bad also, situation I guess, it depends on what the system is like if there's any kind of like mission critical data or confidential customer right. data or employee right. data now there there is real yeah there, there's real concern there here's what i would advise jonathan does is i would try to look at this uh in two ways first of all like mike said it might be worth covering your own ass and you can do that with notes. Start taking notes. I don't care if you handwrite them. I don't care if you type them. Start keeping notes of what you discover and who you've talked to about it and your thoughts at the time about the risk. Date it. Make sure that's clear, that it's time stamped. That is one great way to cover your own ass. Now, here's the next thing I would do, though. Uh, I would come to them with a solution and not a problem. Because if we're talking a large-ish infrastructure at this point, the task of bringing all of those systems up to date, fixing the incompatibilities that arise from the changes, working with the vendors, perhaps for whatever reason that might be slowing down the progress of updates, uh, educating the clients on why it's a good idea, selling it to them because they're going to have to be sold on the on the on the idea of spending money. And I've done that a lot. You know, nobody likes to be told about maintenance costs. So you have to sell it in a way that talks about keeping things secure, more stable uh, long-term, sustainable. You have to use phrases like that. Not, hey, we got to go fix this thing on this box because it's what needs to be done. It doesn't work as well. So come to the management and your team or your department heads, whatever, with a solution. Uh, maybe a suggested plan of action, even if it's not complete. Uh, come to them with something that solves the problem. Don't bring a big problem to them. You'll probably get more traction with that. You combine that with keeping good notes to cover your arse, um, recommending best practices in those notes and also 
try to create a dialogue where you, perhaps you can triage this thing or something. Think about what is going to be most comfortable for your organization and then come to them with that solution. That's probably the best you can do, Jonathan. Yeah. I mean, one line of argument that has uh, helped me in similar situations is an analogy to physical health, right? Like, yeah. try to get them to understand that. It's a hygiene you're, issue. Hygiene. It's hygiene, right? What you're suggesting is that they brush your teeth, floss, you know, and don't eat like candy all day. And if yeah. that is annoying, whatever. But the cost of losing your teeth, pick, it could be anything, right? It could be being a fat guy like me and taking a heart attack, right? It, just whatever. Tell them that there's these little costs that have to happen all the time are just like dental or physical maintenance or even maintenance on a car if you prefer not to mention uh, health. I, so, yeah. It's a big problem because it's going to be software patches. It's going to be vendor software that has to get updated. And it's going to be really solving the username and password management solution. Probably passwords haven't been rotated in a long time for some well, accounts. And they're in a spreadsheet, yeah. which I'm sure is in like Google Drive or SharePoint somewhere. Uh, or just getting emailed around the office so a copy sits in each person's inbox. Oh, it's terrifying. Slack to think with a of. bunch of emoji replies, right? A bunch of thumbs up and uh, and uh, flames. All right. So this isn't really an email from the audience, but this is follow up from a discussion we had in the episode after it was announced that Microsoft had acquired GitHub. And I think it was either myself, probably Mike. Somebody said, "Hey, you know what's going to happen here?" One of us said, "This is going to get turned into a massive." hiring apparatus with all of the data of contributions and the projects people work on and their social connections microsoft's going to use this to do a basically a, a jobs board well turns out we nailed that prediction i mean we Give called me that bell. day up we called it. you get yeah. a couple of bills for that one so github's vp of worldwide sales paul st john was at an event uh, and uh, he is, he was talking about what he's going to be talking about at the next event he's going to be at. And he was coy about the details, but his comments came after discussion about the role GitHub, having been acquired by Microsoft, by Microsoft, plays in connecting open source developers with prospective employers. In that no. context, no. he says, businesses use open source libraries, and then they make applications from them, and then they need someone to work on them. He goes on to say... They will email people at GitHub, and they will come to GitHub itself and say, quote, we need somebody to come and work on this application built off this open source library. Can you find anybody in the community that will come work on it? It happens all the time, he says. <laughs> that was his response to, will GitHub be a hiring platform? <sighs> Recruiters are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Microsoft gonna is going to be the new recruiter. They'll be looking at what expertise you have and what other projects you have. And then then when employers come, they'll sell that data to employers. I, so I'm going to make a recommendation right now. Um, go into your GitHub profile and don't show your email address. Make sure your email is hidden. Is this, I mean, is this necessarily bad? Maybe this is the yeah, way to no, do it's it. To, it's totally bad. It's, um, it's going to be terrible. Cause it, because it, it means people will start gaming GitHub? Or, like, what's your concern? Because, to me, it seems like maybe it would be matching the right candidates with the right business. My concern is your... See, ideally, if it was like, you know, you know, Acme Company needs to hire a, a Django developer. Yeah, I mean, here's an example. Yeah, his example, let's say they build some big, some big application that's dependent on that framework. Uh, that's, like, not what's going to happen. No? Right. So, no. That's he says it happens all the time. <laughs> No, he's a VP. 
I know. And I'm no offense to present company, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of a few other VPs in the world. You know, uh, wasn't Nixon a VP at one point? Oh man, uh, dick? is yeah. this a Pence joke? Is this a long Pence joke? Is that we're going here? You know what? <laughs> Sometimes I think Mike Pence is waiting for me to get fired and take my job. I'm just, just always around. No, jackass. Oh, Barack, I miss you. Although I really don't. Oh, he'll be back. Okay. Oh, oh God. <laughs> just like Dracula. So when Stack Overflow first added their developer profile thing that they've now called uh, careers at Stack Overflow, they did this. This is we're going back. We're going oh, yeah. back in time. Okay. They allowed you to put contact information on there, mm. and what immediately happened was one brave Borg-like recruiter found it. And the spam did not stop. It's not going to be Linux Academy is looking to hire somebody on GitHub. Of course, that may be sometimes be a thing or that, you know, Acme company is looking to hire somebody. It's going to be predominantly recruiters. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be just a nightmare. Like I can, I, I could actually see what you're saying. It definitely, the companies will outsource it to recruiters. Well, that's what they already do. Yeah, anyway, exactly. Right? Of course. And of course, like some recruiters are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, you know, I don't like hate recruiters, but there's like also those weird ones who call you from like across the world that are like super unethical and they'll just keep calling and calling and calling and calling. Yeah, it's not something. And also, I, I kind of don't like it as someone who employs developers because so now GitHub, who I mean, I'm using GitLab now, but we have uh, some open source on GitHub, is going to advertise what talents my people have to people who want to poach them. Like mm. one of my issues is hiring people and like having them not get poached. Yes. Like, since I've been down here, it's poaching has been a, a, an actual real problem. I didn't realize until um, recently having a few conversations with a couple of different folks, how bad it's gotten. Like the person is supposed to show up for their first day of work. Oh, nope. They got a better offer because they can yeah. leverage the, they can leverage the offers against each other. That's that's exactly Which, what happens. You know, I mean, it's good for the employee, right? They're getting the well, best like, situation possible. It's just we're looking at it from a from an owner standpoint, right? So that's well, our right, that's right, our bias. Yeah. Well, well, and like it's really bad for small businesses because you don't, you know, you don't have you you just don't have the perks, right? You don't have that. You know, for instance, Amazon is down here and they poach people all the time. Amazon offers people more money than actually exists in the state of Florida. Yeah, I've heard a couple of stories of Microsoft doing the same thing recently. Yeah, and they're down here too. So it's kind of like, okay, so basically tech out all the top tier developers that graduate a college every year, can't hire them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're left with like, you, you really end up getting creative doing things like going to events, boot camps. Um, but, you know, I've had recruiters and this is a tangent, but I just, Chris, I want you to understand now that you're a big corporate guy, you should understand recruiters are shameless. Yeah, I've had them call my office when we were all on site trying to poach someone. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've I I remember when it, when I first started when I was in IT still and I started getting recruiter calls. At first, I felt like it was an ego boost. Like I'm so great, I've shown up on somebody's radar, and then that quickly fades away to frustration because it really is just it's a bombardment. Um, and you're yeah. right. You're right. Oh man, I was all I was all fired up about this. Like the right candidates will be connected with the right companies, but you're right; it's just going to be a recruiting fuel. Well, to, to be fair to Microsoft and GitHub, they could just like say you no know, recruiters, 
right? They could verify, but they now we're could. talking about work they and recruit. Yeah, and, and their money's green too. So exactly, yeah. Plus, the, if the companies are legitimately hiring those recruiters to do the work on the behalf of the companies, that's you know, that checks out. That's yeah. That's the way I mean, it works. They, recruiters exist for a reason, right? Like I can't say I've never used one. So well, you have a little bit of news. Why don't we make our own hoopla? Uh, I think since the last sure. time you talked, you and I talked at least. Um, you released a new product that runs on modern versions of Windows and Linux. And um, it's not a bot. In nope. fact, it's not even probably what people guess. It's something for essentially, unless I'm wrong, the, uh, the, the I, what's the industry called? Not the aerospace industry, but the it's, it's, it's for people yeah, flying. Mili- military aviation, yeah. Okay, there you go. Military aviation. It's a radar display platform, including tactical displays, and I don't even know what this word means, RWR. Like, you've gone deep. Rear warning radar. Wow, I've man. Gone deep. You've gone deep. Yeah. <laughs> so, gone real deep. So is it, it's, is it, it's pronounced, um, how do you, Gryphon, Graphon? How do you pronounce it? Griffin. 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 Oh, awesome. Griffinradar.com if people want to learn more about it. Uh, well, that's a huge congratulations. And Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, this is why you've been doing some of the travel recently, yeah? That's why I've been doing some of the travel. That's why I've been so... Th- so this... So... This links to something else. By the way, if you want to check it out, go to griffinradar.com. Boom. Um, and, it, of course, I, uh, you know, all my sites are pretty. Yeah, you do always have great sites. This is the, and this is something else we should cover. This was the project that I wanted to do in Qt. Right. That was originally written in Qt and then had to be brought over to uh, .NET. Right. Um, yeah, so, in fact, there's been some developments on that, Chris. I don't know if you saw Cute actually replied to me on Twitter. You know, you mentioned it. I didn't see the thread, though. I didn't get a chance to see it. How did that go? Yeah, what, th- what was their response? Uh, the response was like an, a, a response that didn't quite answer the question. Mm. So there is some disagreement on what is considered embedded. Oh. That's where we are right now. Oh, really? And the ironic thing is the, the response that they tweeted to me contradicts the conversation i had with their rep so it is possible in fact i would i and i, I tried to encourage them to say little you know because i guess they they heard the show which sorry you know i i tried to invited the rep on i said you know this is very confusing i've talked to three different people from your company and i've gotten two very different answers i said and you know now we have this message on twitter which which i think is correct but the official proposal I got from you was the exact opposite. Mm. And the question being, is a Windows or Linux tablet that's running standards Windows or Linux, right? So let's just say Debian. Is that considered, if it's mounted in a in a either airplane or, or anything like that, is that considered embedded? I thought not. But as we went through that process... The rep said, yeah, we consider that embedded. So the, so the question that really is at the core of this is, what defines an embedded device? Is it an embedded OS, or is it how it's installed? That, that was my argument. It would right. be that it, it would be the op- It would be, you know, running a headless Linux machine, I would say, sure, embedded. I mean, right? just for the just sake like of a- argument, <clears throat> what if they had an HP tower in the airplane that fed to an LCD monitor that was secured in the cockpit with, like, a mounting system? That wouldn't. That would clearly not be embedded because it would be it would be a DVI cord running down to, or a DisplayPort cord running down to a HP PC tower running Windows 10 Professional. 
And that would clearly not be embedded. But because now they've been able to fit all of that same stuff in something like a Surface, yeah, that makes it an embedded device. I don't think I agree with that. It's is it and it's x eighty six Windows in this case. It, it's standard. It's standards Windows ten or standard Debian, right? We could. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm calling shenanigans on that. Yeah, well, and it's funny because the the public reply on Twitter was basically in agreement with me, but also you know somewhat annoyed that. I you, guess they don't. You don't like, like it. what it did. Well, they don't like it when you talk about it publicly. You know, they don't like right. that too much. So, <laughs> it, it seems like what happened is like a sales rep made a mistake, but because we're so small, didn't want to take a lot of time to escalate the issue. Mm. And I got annoyed. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it is still to this day. I have still not gotten a straight answer on if you just have a tablet running a non embedded operating system so straight windows straight linux is that considered embedded or not and it's still still unclear jeez that is so tricky. please cute people come on the show it's really even if the answer is yes we consider it embedded better to have it out there that you know this is our policy but hey i would i would like to know what the audience thinks i wonder if they could make the case for for that to say it's embedded and it well the other the other funny thing is Technically, again, not a lawyer, the LGPL doesn't care, right? If you can dynamically link the libraries, you should be fine as far as the LGPL is concerned. So it's interesting that they even have this distinction. Well, it's because maybe folks like you don't want to link, right? No, I was willing to link. I was willing to dynamically link. Oh, you were? Okay, I misunderstood. Oh, okay. So first I wanted to pay commercial. Yeah. And then I, I briefly thought about using the LGPL, but... The conversation. This is where the conversation got weird. They're like, well, if it's embedded, you, you can't, which makes no sense. But. So, even with that rather major road bump that you've hit, that you know you're still churning over in your head, uh, you were still able to hit the ship date, and I assume you were able to do the demos. Um, uh, how how stressful was that, and how did you actually manage to pull that off? So um, the wonderful thing about Visual Studio is it basically writes the code for you. No, <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was pretty stressful. Uh, we ended up having to basically double up resources on the project and just just go, go, go to get it out the door. Uh, there's, a, there's a little secret in there for the Linux version called Avalonia. But, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, which uh, the Madbotter is now actually sponsoring. So Oh, yeah, I saw that too. All right, so how do I get it for a good news slash Linux? Do I just... Uh... Is there any way for me to, to contact you? Is that how I get it? Yeah, it, it's a it's a callless situation. Oh, you dirty dog. You dirty dog. <clears throat> yeah. So how... Okay, okay. But I guess the elephant in the room really is, how the hell did you narrow in on this particular market? On As they would say, on this vertical. How did you go there? Because Madbotter, right, is working on a productivity bot, um, and then, of course, uh, I've, I've seen that idea take off like crazy. Um, and so you're looking at other places where perhaps you could niche down on that vertical, as they say. And oh. I'm just wondering how the hell uh, military aerospace is where you landed. That's well, that's a that's a big leap. With you being missing for so long, I, w- I was seriously thinking we needed some sort of rescue operation. Um no, so actually, a lot of the consulting work is in that vertical already that we've been doing for some time. Oh. So there was just an opportunity to work with a partner, and um, yeah, it, it was, went ahead. And, I see. So you already had feelers in that area, so it was just sort of a yeah. natural slip right in. 
Nice. Just slip it right in. Nice, dude. Well, congratulations on shipping. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's uh, uh, Griffin Radar, right? Did I say that right? GriffinRadar.com? Yep, GriffinRadar.com. Nice. Well, congratulations. That's a big Thank deal. You. I'm going to, uh, I'll talk, you know, if, if people are interested, I thought I figured I'd talk a little bit about uh, my business thing that's pretty huge for me is the transition from being an independent owner of Jupiter Broadcasting and really being having to be extremely scrappy and fight it out in the streets with uh, other podcasts that are adverti- you know, advertiser supported and, and trying to work, you know, try to encourage people to do our Patreon and just really just pulling at every string we can to stay alive. And now we've made the transition where we are formally a part of Linux Academy. And um, <clears throat> a huge part of Linux Academy's core values is the community because they themselves as Linux users recognize that if you're going to build a large successful company that makes revenue off of Linux, then it's in your best interest when you get to a certain size to be an active participant in that community, reinvesting back in the very community that's made you successful. And so that's always been a big part of what Linux Academy has been about, but it's sort of been everyone's job, which only works at a certain scale when everybody is really busy. You know, it's, it's easy to say community is important, so uh, at some point they made the they made the determination that we need to have an actual community department and we need to have a VP of community and uh, that is the role that I have taken on and the podcasts are part of that giving back to the community it's their contribution that's why they remove the ads from the podcasts is they they want them to be something free that goes back to the community that gets people excited about Linux and open source or just technology in general which. Maybe once you get, you know, when you get to get to a point, you think, I, I, I'm ready to learn more. You think Linux Academy. I mean, we've been out here getting people excited about Linux and open source for 13 years. So we're pretty, we're pretty used to doing that mission. So yeah, I, when we, when we sat down and talked it, you know, you know, it's funny is it originally, it originally started as what, what are some ways we could just work together more, you know, because we're both kind of doing the same thing. The funny right. thing about most professions is from the outside, you think you have an idea of what it takes to do the work. But then when you go into an industry or you go into a profession, you realize there's so much more to it than what people see publicly. Or what what people could even, you know, assume publicly. You just don't know until you're doing it. And uh, that that is maybe the most true for the content industry. The amount of work, I mean, you hear about, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You hear about, uh, you know, famous people who are strung out on drugs and pushing themselves to the limit or alcoholics. It takes an unbelievable amount out of you. And, you know, I, I would say 90% of my job is, no, that's, that's, that's an under, I, 98% of my job is off microphone. The easiest thing I do is record these shows. That is the easiest aspect of my job. Um, and it's really hard to even understand what could he be spending all his time on? What could he be doing? But once you get into the industry and you're running a business, you realize there's so much more to it. So now I'm making this transition to where I have a, a marketing department that I can contact now. And there is a development department that I can contact. And there are people on staff who are super knowledgeable about AWS and Azure and Linux security. Like they, like they, 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 some of them have come from Amazon and other areas of the industry. Like they are, 
really experts on this stuff. So it's like all of a sudden I can't even really wrap my head around it. I've gone from scrappy little like cut every edge, every corner we can to save money, uh, work 60 hours a week to now I have like a, a, an actual full-time small team that works for me. And I have a bunch of other resources in a much larger organization that, you know, working with a PMO, I can, I can task and, and, and get things out of like, we're talking about a kickoff meeting next week to just update our art because our art is old. The Coda radio artwork has not changed in six years or whatever, five years. But how long we've been doing this? It's just been the same. We started in 2012. So, and that's, and it's just simply because of budget reasons, right? It just, it costs money to hire people to refresh the art and really it does need like the, it's it's lower resolution than it should be for for high dpi displays and all that stuff like it's just it's just an area that was not even under consideration and now next week i'm i'm going to be meeting with an art team to start kicking around ideas and just how to you know just give things a refresh it's this massive head change for me and um there's a lot to do as a vp that i didn't really have a full picture of because how could I until I got into that position and now I'm involved in a lot of meetings you know I'm a stakeholder now (laughs) oh no yeah I'm a a stakeholder and uh so it's like every every day there's usually a meeting I'm involved in so there's been a lot of new work too that I'm picking up while I'm recovering but since I'm not doing as many shows while I'm recovering I've had more time to do the VP stuff it's been it's a type of transition that I'm still processing really you know like I'm still fully adjusting to it, right? So you're you're adjusting to now being the grand viceroy of community, right? Yeah, well, it seems like the perfect marriage. How, how did you trick Anthony into doing this? <laughs> well, so let's. I think we should explore the why a little bit because you know we've yeah uh, and uh, yeah. Like, like I was saying, it did start as just like maybe we could do you know like a, a collaboration on a show or something, and then it, and then the, the conversation over Texas Linux Fest just sort of just sort of expanded from there and at one point he's like well well maybe we should just buy jupiter broadcasting uh because you know if we're going to be doing two or so you know and they're and they also at the same time want to launch several shows that they've you know they've bought studio space for they've created studio space for they've recorded test episodes but they can't really there's a lot involved to it to making shows to making them weekly to publishing them on the different platforms like there's just we just you know we essentially have a ton of industry knowledge in this area, and so we would we would just be providing a lot of cons- at first it was going to be providing a lot of consulting, but then it then it, then the conversation expanded from there. But going back to the why, so um, you know I was really at a point where uh, uh, just very frankly, the last three years I've I I've been living off of fumes. Um, just I'm not complaining really because this is my choice. I I enjoy the work and I would rather be broke and do something I enjoy than make a ton of money and hate the work. That I've because I've done that before. I did that for a long time and I I know that doesn't work for me. So I'm I, I preface this with I'm not complaining <clears throat> and I'm thankful that I could do it at all. Sure, but you know I don't even have I don't have running water at home because it costs three hundred and twenty dollars to turn on running water, and I. Oh, wow. I couldn't afford that. And so I've been living okay. for over a, you know, a year or two now with, without running water. And I, I have this big bladder that holds 30 gallons at a time. And I fill that with water. 
and then I have a pump, and I transfer that into the tank in my RV, and then my RV has a pump, and that runs the toilets and the sinks, but it's not sanitary. We can't drink that water. Yeah. You know, we brush our teeth with it, but probably even that's pushing it. Like, that was my reality. And the only way I could see to improve it was to bring on more sponsors or replace the sponsors with higher paying sponsors. Uh, but I wasn't really, I, I'm not, I wasn't inclined to do that because it's about, it's, it's, it's a sales process and it can take up to six months or more to close a sale. And I would have four or five of them I would have to do that with. And I also really, you know, I, I, I worked hard to hand choose those sponsors and work with them. And I was a customer of each one of those sponsors and I had a, I had a history with them and I wasn't really keen on replacing them, but I couldn't launch more shows to feature new sponsors because there was no mm. revenue to do that. Plus, switching to higher paying sponsors is just locking in a more rigid production schedule that can't be missed. And it, it just raises the stakes that I'm there for every episode, that I'm healthy, that, uh, you know, I never take a break. Like it just raises the stakes on all of those. So that didn't feel sustainable. Plus, higher paying sponsors are now because the podcast industry has grown so much are looking for a minimum of 50,000 downloads. And if you want something that's going to actually make a difference in your life, they're looking for 75,000 downloads. Um, right. Now, our shows will reach that monthly. Like, you know, uh, I think this month, as an example, Linux Action News will be downloaded by 130,000 unique people in one month. That's a, that's a fantastic number that I'm very proud of. They want 50 to 70,000 per episode per week. Right, not just the average overall, right. And I don't believe when you look at the Linux and open source and free software market and then the audience in which in that would listen to podcasts and then the audience in which that would choose to listen to our podcasts, I don't believe once you niche down into that vertical that much that you can have 75,000 downloads per week per episode. You can have a couple of lucky episodes, but unless you're going hard on the clickbait emotion, basically YouTube crap, you're not going to get there in a podcast. Podcasts don't get shared the way blogs and YouTube videos do. It's much more organic, slow discovery. People don't link other people to a, a, a point in a podcast. They'll link people to a YouTube video or a text article. Um, and so discovery and growth has been a slow process for the last 13 years. And I'm very proud of where we've gotten because it's, you know, these are magazine numbers. These are larger than magazine distribution numbers. Like, they're larger than local, small to medium market radio station numbers. Like, I'm proud of these numbers, but they're not 75,000 per week. In fact, most, most of them that are that large are associated with larger organizations or celebrities. And so it was going to be an uphill battle. Plus, there are a lot of Linux podcasts now that I would be, essentially, we're yeah. all competing for the same sponsor dollar. And then there's just the, there'd just be that we would just be making a slight improvement on, on our revenue and our quality of life while being even more stuck to a rigid production schedule. And that just so didn't sounds seem... like this gives you, go ahead. gives you a lot of freedom. No, it sounds like, so the, our, our new Linux Academy overlords all bow to the penguin. Um, it's giving you just a tremendous amount of freedom and runway. Yeah. And it's, it's a matter of being able to work with a larger group of people who understand how much work content creation yeah. is because they're content creators too. And that I don't think I would have found anywhere else 
Like if you look at, say like you look at the other, our other sponsors, like DigitalOcean, their area is servers, right? But Linux Academy's right. area is content creation. And they, they have a house full of staff whose entire purpose is content creation. Anthony himself was the, the, one of the original content creators for Linux Academy back in 2014. So he himself is intimately familiar with the content creation process and how much damn work it is. So that insight is... I just it's almost invaluable because it it's the difference between them understanding why sometimes it takes a while to produce a show and then and then and, and then packing on tons of expectations and all of this. So that was when I when I when I started considering that aspect of the relationship, that sort of seemed like, a well, this is the shot I have. Like um, I could probably keep going uh, doing it the way we were, but I, I'm really, I, I just, I'm exhausted by being so poor. Mm. You know, I, I, like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get my truck fixed. I couldn't replace my tires. I couldn't fix right. up the RV. Like I was just, it's exhausting being so broke all the time. And I know people have been worse off for me, but you know, there was, there was literally weeks where I am like, I'm like, well, I, I can no longer afford to get gas anymore. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get my truck gets did. I've replaced it now you know, was getting 16 miles to the gallon. And I'm like, I, I, I think I'm sleeping at the studio tonight. So that way I can be there to do shows the next day. And that's just, it's just, it just is exhausting. And so to be able to go into an organization who is just growing like crazy and has the runway to do things like finance trips to events for the, or, or put gas in the RV, which can be thousands of dollars when I take it to an event or fly and you know pay for my hotel stay like it opens up my possibilities of what I can do to create future content tenfold because now I'm working with a company that has an expense process that has hired me with the intention of being able to travel and go to community events and you know meet up with people and is encouraging me to do so it it no longer becomes a how are we going to even be able to afford to do this are we going to make 6 months of payments on a credit card after I return from a trip it's this is yeah. part of my process now um and the other thing that's meant is being able to bring Joe and Wes on full time, like the the timing of that was sort of miraculous because the week that Wes start like the so Wes started full time like on a on a like a Wednesday, and I, I we he and I flew down to Texas because uh, new employees they go down to Linux Academy HQ and they go through an onboarding process, and so I was down there to button up the final details on the merger announcement. And Wes was down there to do onboarding. So I'm in Texas when my appendix ruptures. And he flies home because at that point, I'm like, I'm just not feeling well. I'm going to go sleep. And so I just started sleeping a lot. And so uh, I booked Wes a flight home and he flew home. And he started full time that Monday that I went in and I went to the hospital Sunday. And uh, so Joe and Wes were able to keep the shows going. Angela was able to provide historical context and direction in areas where they needed help. And it was we had we had a full like team that was able to just step up and keep the shows. So we didn't miss any shows while I was gone, while I was in the hospital for a week and then recovering now for several weeks. Right. We haven't missed a single show, uh, you know, unless some other circumstances have come, have come up. And that we nailed that by one day. Like that's how like, like that that kind of in, in, if we had missed that by a week then it would have all been on me. There would have been nobody here bringing sponsor revenue in. There would have been no shows going out. Um, The network just would have gone silent for a couple of weeks, possibly. And so uh, it's just, it's totally changing my game. 
it's totally changing my game. And now the other thing is it means is that Wes and Joe can commit themselves full time to this. So that means Wes has been available on a Sunday. He's been available on a Thursday midday. You know, we don't have to worry about his day job anymore. And so it's made it way more possible to do all of this stuff. And not to mention, I got health care two weeks before I ended up in the ER. Oh, you lucky duck. No, I mean, you're unlucky that you went to the ER, but the health care is... And I was, you know, we talked about it on the show, you know, you and I had yeah. both had to go this year health care free because of the cost. And I just couldn't afford it. And I thought, well, I'm healthy. You know, I haven't gone to the doctor in seven, eight years. I got nothing wrong with me. I'll be fine for one more year is what I thought. And I didn't even make it <laughs> through the year. Okay. You, you didn't and, make it. You didn't make it. Uh, I didn't. And I, you know, I'm still going to be paying out the nose for the stuff that's just out of just the cost of stuff out of network is freaking me out. It's going to be possibly tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah, at least you have something. I mean, that, yeah. It would, yeah. I would be, I would, I would have been, I, I would have been completely destroyed financially. So I, you know, I've had a few weeks to reflect on this and it just seems like what I was doing before was pure insanity. I mean, the reason why I walked around and three what weeks. what I'm currently doing. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, the reason I walked around for three weeks with appendicitis and, and then ruptured my appendix, I mean, I pushed through one of the most miserable, I was so sick. I was feverish. I was, I was exhausted and I pushed through it for three weeks because that's how the old business was designed is I had to be there to keep, to keep doing this, the shows, to keep the sponsor revenue coming in, to keep stuff going out the door. And plus I was trying to finish this business deal. It was, it was just totally unsustainable. And I pushed it too far to the point where uh, I got way more sick than I should have. I, uh, if I would have gone in the, into the hospital the first week, they probably would have just been able to do an appendectomy. And just put a couple little holes in me and got my appendix out. But instead, I pushed through it for three weeks and I traveled to Texas and I ruptured my appendix. And in doing so, and apparently I, I, I likely spent several days, if not maybe a week with a ruptured appendix. And the bacteria of that appendix went throughout my body and wrecked my right hip and those muscles. And it went and the, the muscles that hold my stomach in place on the bottom were poisoned and, and nearly destroyed. Um, and then the areas around where my uh, appendix was has been severely damaged. It's the doctor described it as just this most horrible, horrible looking thing. Um, and all of that damage would have been prevented if I had gone to the hospital sooner. But I was so focused on work and pushing through this because I've had a lot. When things get really stressful and things really get going, you know, sometimes my health begins to fail me. And that's not that's been something that's happened quite a bit over the last three years. And generally, I, I, I managed to push through it after a few days. But this time, it wasn't what, that wasn't what was happening. Um, and just to make it clear, I did go to the ER at one point, and they missed it. So I did, I did try to go in, and they just they happened to miss it. They didn't do any imagery and, uh, so, and cleared me to travel to Texas. So I, I did try it, at, at, but that still was like two weeks into it. It took me two, two and a half weeks to get to that point. And it's just because I didn't have health insurance at the time, or actually I did at just at that point, but I, I wasn't used to thinking like I have health insurance. I had the mindset of I have to avoid going to the doctor, and I was just locked into that. So much of what you're saying, you, and you know from our prior conversations, is completely like one-to-one -one with, uh, with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, but brighter future, right? So all Linux all the time. Yeah, I mean, it is, it has, it, it, it has, it's, it, there was a bit of sadness of losing, you know, like the, 
being a business owner and being, you know, a quote unquote entrepreneur or whatever, I didn't really ever consider myself that, but being like a self-sufficient, I own my own business, I've created this thing right. and now it sustains me. But the reality was, is I was sustaining it and it was, it was not sustaining me. Um, right. And so that's where this, this transition I think has been really good for me. I think it will be good for me personally once I'm through all this medical stuff and all of that. But, um, it does mean playing a new game now. Like, I think one of the reasons why I'm going to be okay at this is because I spent seven years working at a bank that was extremely bureaucratic. I've shared some of the stories on this show before and very, very political. And so by comparison, Linux Academy with its like 115 employees and its uh, remote work culture is a cakewalk. Like it's kept me busy every day. And I've spent, like, I had to spend multiple days, like, doing expense reports and stuff like that. Like, I feel like I've had to do a few TPS reports. But at the same time, compared to the seven years I spent in that bank, this is easy. And I was surprised at how quickly I could recall those skills. I figured I was, and I think I've said before, I am unemployable now. Um, because I am so used to having unilateral decisions. Like, if I need to subscribe to a service to do my job, I subscribe to that service. It takes me 10 minutes. And I move on with my day. But now I got to hem and haw and I got to seek approval for a certain amount. You know, like there's there's different things that have changed. I, I don't think it's for the worst, but I wasn't I didn't think I was cut out for it. I didn't think I could deal with that crap anymore. But the reality is it's, it's been to my surprise, like riding a bike. I'm 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 kind of a natural at it, I guess. It's sort of horrible to say it. I kind of feel bad saying it, but like. I'm pretty good at playing the politics game and making sure that the right people are staying informed and that I'm, you know, I'm making sure I'm checking right. with the right people and showing a certain amount of presence in, in the, in the group discussion. And, uh, there's other roles I have as a VP in management areas where I, you know, have to be actively participating. Um, but it's been significantly easier in a way because I haven't been doing as many shows and I've been recovering and taking it slow. So I've been able to just sort of focus on that stuff, but it has been way easier than I expected to integrate back into a corporate structure Linux Academy one is, is, is pretty easy going, you know, it's, uh, as far as it's pretty modern in, in its structure and, uh, in its remote work uh, culture. So it, it sort of works well for me since I'm up here in Seattle. Well, most of the team is all around the world. So I'm not like some weirdo who's outside the office and I'm the only outsider. It's pretty common for most people to be out. Um, and they have a policy where if you ever want to visit the office, you fly in, they'll put you up at a hotel, they'll pay for the flight and you can stay and work at the office as long as you want. Uh, and uh, to that end, even we're we're building a studio there, essentially a JB2, which will have a lot of the same gear. So what I can I can jump on a plane, three hour flight down to Texas, and uh, I have uh, I've left myself a go bag there, so I can literally just jump in the car, go to the airport. I don't have to pack a thing. I hop on the plane, I fly down there, and I've got a go bag stashed down there waiting for me, packed, clean clothes, ready to go with all my toiletries and everything I like, even a, even a razor. And I can get right to work at a studio that's down there. And then I, when I'm ready to go, I jump on a plane, fly back three hours, three, four hours. I'm back in Washington. That's really cool. So it's working so far, but you know, long-term we'll see. I think long-term is, I think there's going to be a matter of balancing, balancing the, the, the VP role with balancing the content creation role. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting to travel to more events. Really, once that's the that's the number one thing when they told me it's going to be a multi month recovery. I'm like, uh, no, I've got two events scheduled. I want to go to. I, I, in the next two months, I got two different events I want to go to. Like, you're not going anywhere. 
So. And I know you're grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, and it's, for me, it's, it's a relief not to, to do sponsorships. Um, I, I think we had great sponsors and I really appreciate them keeping us going for as long as they did. But, you know, I've, I've told everybody about DigitalOcean and, and, and Ting a few times now. So, and, you know, it means with, like with this show, we can just sit here and chat. You know, we can just have an uninterrupted, uninterrupted conversation. And right. uh, I think that's pretty great. And I think I'll, I'm going to try to find ways to still make it valuable for Linux Academy. So I'll, I'll probably mention, oh, actually, in fact, here's an example of something I'm going to try to do. Uh, they have a Ruby developer position that is open right now. And um, so I'm going to try and get that information out from time to time. I'll put a link in the show notes at coder.show slash 326. They are looking for a full stack node developer, which is a remote position, a Ruby developer, which is a remote position, and a Ruby on Rails developer, which is a remote position. It looks like they are looking for are a... All, Go ahead. Are all their positions remote? No, I was just going to say, it looks like okay. they're looking for a senior iOS developer that might... Yeah, that's out of the office... Uh, they're looking for a PMO, uh, Scrum Master, which is out of the office, and a technical writer, which would be remote, and an R&D web developer, which uh, they're looking for someone in New York for that, interestingly enough. But I'll put a link to this in the show notes if if anybody uh, is uh, like a Node uh, developer or a, or a Ruby developer and looking for remote work, uh, they have a position open. So I'm going to try and probably integrate that kind of stuff. So it's still bringing some value to Linux Academy, but it's also bringing value to the audience is sort of my plan um and we'll see how that works because i am hoping that's a good balance that everybody's happy with and you know what else it's meant which is i'm actually really really excited about because people have basically asked me on a daily basis since we took it off the air but it means that we now have the resources and staff to bring back user air so we've relaunched the user air program which is really kind of one of the audience favorites i guess because they get to you get to hear some of the same hosts that you listen to on the other shows, but you know they let their hair down and take their pants off and sit sit around and uh, talk about life, the universe, and uh, Linux. <laughs> Linux. Yeah. So user air forty eight yeah, no. living the dream is out. Use or it's it air dot show. Very good. You, yeah, you got a chance to listen to it. Error dot show. Yep, I like I like those guys, Popey and Dan and uh, Joe's on there, and I'll probably uh, I'll probably be on the next one and I'll tell the full story because you know there's some aspects to it that are, are just. They're not worth going into on this show, but oh man, are they mind benders? Oh man, there's so many mind benders in this whole process. So I think I'll come on the next user error and uh, on 49 and share my story. So something I've noticed is um, a lot, like you, you mentioned, Dan, a lot of elementary love going on. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think they are larger than Fedora in user base by about a hundred thousand users now, and uh, I think people are noticing that they uh, a trend line of improvement. Like you can look at each elementary OS and you can see that they've, they've held a singular vision and it's been getting more and more refined each time. And uh, they're also very active, like Cassidy and Daniel, are very active in the community. Like they just were both at the Libra Application Summit. They uh, are usually at some other major event every few months. You know, so they're really participating in the in the in the overall discussion a lot, and so I think it's sort of like this um, multifaceted approach that they've taken by continuing to put out good stuff, by being active in the community, and by trying to change the status quo a little bit, and being now pretty pretty clear and communicating fairly well after some hard lessons learned on 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 communicating that status quo change. I think it's paying dividends, and also not to not to toot my own horn. 
but they they have been much more active in and talking about some of the things behind the scenes on Linux Unplugged. And I think that does something for these projects. I think when they come on the show and they don't go for the sale, they go for, this is the challenge that I'm working on. This is the thing we're trying to solve. Like Dan came on one time and talked about how they're building this this centralized location service for the desktop for any application that needs location awareness that is controllable by the user. That's, you know, it's, it's by default, very secure and you can manage the privacy and much like in like on, on iOS, you can go into one central spot and deny location for certain applications. They're building something like that in there. And he, he talked about why they're doing it and the challenges they've had and the reason why they've decided to go this approach and what they think the good, the good sides of location and bad sides of location services are. And then, you know, he's not on there pitching it as a new feature. He's just on there talking about the code that he's been struggling with recently. And I think that, resonates with the audience people appreciate the hard work that they've they're putting into this and then you see the results and uh yeah yeah they just had an ama on r slash linux and there's lots of love in there lots of complimentary discussion in there yeah yeah no i saw that very interesting what do you think have you thought about giving it a go are you sticking with pop os um so i actually did take a dive into elementary oh Um, really i was I was intrigued by the elementary app store and, uh, frankly, Vala, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also it, it's damn pretty, right? Like it's, it's clean, right? And it's fast. It's clean. It, it looks good. It, I, I'm not going to say that it's, that it's a snow leopard, but it's definitely like a, you know, like a, a slush leopard so far. Like we could get there. All right. Okay. okay. That was a little slush elementary leopard. OS slush leopard. Um, yeah, I'm, First of all, I was surprised how small the team is over there. Um, you know, it's obviously I say over there it's an open source project. It, so far, so good. I mean, I I am running it in a VM, so there's some weirdness. I don't know oh, if I'm going to drop that's pop too for bad. it. It's so smooth on physical hardware. Like the, I imagine it is. It yeah, is yeah. like the, just the way that even the windows open and move around is is really smooth. It's, I think it's much nicer than GNOME Shell. Yeah, it definitely looks better. <laughs> yeah, slush yeah. leopard. That's so funny. I, I, uh, I will also just give a little plug. They've just released the new beta. Uh, I think last night. Of oh, let wow. me, I'm checking. See if I have a link of uh, Juno, which is their 1804 base, um, with a bunch of other. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Yeah, I'll put a link to this in the show notes too. So the new Juno release is the one that Dan's been talking to us on Unplugged for quite a bit about, and it's looking really solid. And the thing, the other thing that I like that they do is they don't do a time-based, they do a open issues-based release schedule. So uh, they just, they sit there and they burn down the open bugs and issues, and then once they get them all cleaned up, that's when they do a release. And so they get to that point, then they release a beta. And then they get to that point again, they release beta 2, and then they're going to do an RC, close all down the bugs, and then they'll do a final release. It's not like we're going to ship it on October 1st. It's, it's right. We ship it when we've cleared up as many of the bugs as we possibly can. Wait, ship software when it's actually done instead of for an arbitrary date? Chris, this is revolutionary. You know, it it kind of works because my son has been using a two two or even maybe almost, I don't know, three. It's, it's one or two releases old of elementary. He's like on a two or three-year-old install on his laptop of elementary OS. And, you know, he's not like, he's not trashing it, but, you know, kids and computers, like, they'll turn them off randomly, you know, he's... He's yeah. You know, he's not super hard on it, but he's not easy on it either. And uh, that flawless, flawless. In fact, it's it's 
it's been better than the uh, used iMac that one of the other kids has used. It's you know it's just been totally flawless, and he he runs Minecraft on it all the time. He hooks up secondary displays. It's just been he does a monthly. He runs the monthly updates, and they just built a really good product. I'm sure there's other distros that would be like good, just as good as that, but it it's it really you know that to me has been one of the big tests, and it's really held up. I think it's a I think it's a good workstation development environment it's clean it's out of your way they've got a good notification system it gets even gets even better in juno i like their terminal a lot and if you if you're mostly just working in a text editor and a, sh- and a shell uh I, I really would strongly consider people take a look at it and i i don't like it when people say it's a mac os ripoff i think that's really unfair i think they're just going for a good design aesthetic and i think they now have a more consistent look than mac os does so i think they've surpassed what you know people originally accused them of and it's it's worth a go, and it's again it's based on Ubuntu, so pretty much you can get any software installed on it that you can install on Ubuntu. Right. You can apt yourself to glory, right? So that's nice. I've I have uh, I've I went into a I did a review in uh, Linux Unplugged two sixty seven, but just as a quick addendum, I now am the proud owner of a ThinkPad T four eighty. Very nice. How is it? Exceeds my expectations by a fair margin. It is. It is really nice. So it's got it's a 14-inch screen. I went for 1080p instead of 4K because it's just a little bit easier still with Linux. I put KDE Neon 1804 on there, and it's got gigabit Ethernet. It's got USB-C Thunderbolt 3. It has audio in and out. It has an SD card reader. It has USB-A. It's 3.6 or 3.9 pounds. And then one of the things that I freaking love about it is it's it's about a 10-hour battery life under Linux with this thing. It is an all-night all battery life is how I use it. I leave it plugged in all day at work, and then I go, I go home. I don't even bring a power adapter with me because I have 10 hours. And I, if I need my laptop for 10 hours at work in the evening, I'm doing something wrong. So I, uh, I, I just have been thrilled. I've also used like my old MacBook power, a USB-C power adapter with it. Works great. And I'm able to run our, you know, our VoIP software that we use to connect between hosts. I'm able to run that and it doesn't kick up my fans, which was really the thing I was going for. I got an i7 in this thing that runs at 1.9 gigahertz, but can can turbo up to 4.2 gigahertz, four core, 32 gigs of RAM. So I was hoping it could run a Chrome app without kicking the fans up. And it has indeed successfully done that. Plasma is just so great. I've really gotten down to customizing it super quick. I am now at peak plasma efficiency. I've got, I'm using window rules to make sure that like Slack and Telegram and my calendar and my email applications always open up on the right, uh, uh, right desktops and with the right size and proportions every single time. I'm not having to, in my Chrome browser, which I've, sw- I've switched back to from Firefox, uh, is now, it always opens up on desk one in the proportions so that I can still see my CPU usage and all of that kind of stuff perfectly. Uh, and it's just... You combine that with the built-in K runner, which is which is like a like um like a launcher that you might get from macOS, like Alfred or uh, or Quicksilver or use Spotlight. They've got something even okay. better built into Plasma. It's even faster, and it's even like you can run commands for. It's just the greatest environment for me. I'm really happy with it. it. The fans don't kick up unless I'm really pushing the machine. Ten hour battery life is just more than I could have hoped for under Linux. And uh, it's got a terabyte MVNE drive in it, so the disk is super fast too. I. I think it's one of the best computers I've ever used. I don't know if I... I'm very, very happy that I got it. I, it was my Linux Academy work machine, so Linux Academy actually bought it. If I was buying a machine for home that like, I want to use on the couch and just kind of fart around, 
I may have gone with a Galago Pro or an XPS 13 after your positive review of the, of the Galago, because I could then still get Ethernet in that really rare circumstance I might need it, or the XPS right. 13 so I could just go the USB-C lifestyle um, and that gorgeous Infinity display. But for work, I need legacy ports because all of my current audio gear uses, quote, legacy ports, so I, I have to have USB-A. Otherwise, I'm in Dongletown up, up the wazoo, and I have to have Ethernet because it makes VoIP connections and video connections more stable, and it also makes it simpler to transfer large files. I, these are must-have items, and I wanted excellent Linux compatibility with a great keyboard because I was really just done with the MacBook keyboard. And uh, I got it all. And I think the ThinkPad T480, not the S, but the T480, is just, it's a blow-away. It's a blow-away machine. Customer sat is high. Very high. And I, uh, sat, Tim. Okay. Yeah. And I, if I recommend if people are considering it, one of the things it does that I love, it's got two batteries. It's got a built-in three cell inside the laptop. And then I've got a six cell external. And because you've got two batteries, you can hot swap that external battery and you can run like for an hour or two off of the internal three cell. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's just, I think the internal three cell might have more wattage than your old Galago battery did. I don't know about your current Galago. So it's, you know, three, three or so hour battery and you can then you click on an external one and you get, you can, you can, if you've got a couple of those batteries, you could just go forever basically because I get 10 hours out of one of them. So anyways, I, uh, I would say that I have, I think, solved my long hardware conundrum that I have struggled with as documented in this show for a long time. I feel like I've reached a conclusion there's still some software stuff I have to pull off to do all fancy on the road recording, but I got time to figure that out because I'm not going anywhere for a while. And uh, it feels great. Just It's just wonderful. It's wonderful to be super happy with a setup and to feel like I didn't have to compromise on the hardware. You know, I, I could have lived with 16 gigs of RAM, but 32 gigs of RAM gives me a lot more headroom. And I didn't get it with dedicated graphics, but I planned down the road to get an eGPU, and I'll just invest in that. So I think it's, I think this was, I think Thunderbolt, and Thunderbolt 3 and going 1080p will be the biggest long-term game changers for me because I can go with higher res monitors externally if I want. I can hook up Thunderbolt docks if I want. I can hook up eGPUs. So it seems like you, you, you match that with 32 gigs of RAM and an i7 that has four cores that can turbo up to 4.2 gigahertz. I think it's got a lot of runway. So I can really invest in getting this thing set up right. Pumped about Sounds it. Sounds awesome. Yeah, if you pop an eGPU, like it's not in there next to it. How's your MacBook? I can see being a pretty... Your MacBook holding up? <laughs> what? No? No? Problems? Yeah. So, this is a replacement MacBook and the keyboard does not function. This is So, this is a newer replacement machine and you're already... Yeah, from... Issues. Yeah, for, it was from... Um, I think a month ago I took took the other one in because it was having issues... And they kindly just gave me basically the same computer, right? They just swapped it out. Um, although I did not know that when they do that, I, I guess I should have known. It's always a refurb, usually. Yes. And I can tell you why this computer was given back to the Genius Bar. Keyboard. Keyboard. The irony is I'm traveling again next week, and I ha have an Apple thing I need to do. It's an iOS thing. Mm -hmm. So I literally have to stand at the Genius Bar probably most of the day tomorrow. That is so frustrating. Yeah. Well, and this is something I learned the hard way. So I have the 15-inch um, 2017, but the high-end one. 
not all Apple stores keep many of them in stock. Right. Right. And they will not replace it with a different computer, nor, and this is the best, nor will they replace it with a 2018. Yes. Yeah. And it gets even more complicated if you do like a, a bunch of fancy build to order options online, you know, like if you upgrade a bunch of Yeah. Well, of stuff. that's what I, I, I just did the high everything. Well, right. not everything. But you, the, you just the, the standard. default high, but even that they don't stock. Yeah. They don't stock. And because it's the year old model, they don't stock it at all. So I'm going to be in this weird situation of I have to get this crap done. And then when I say done, like deployed onto the app store, this is the only oh, Mac man. I have and it doesn't work. The VNC baby. No, I, I, I joke, but because that's honestly, if I was hoping they were going to release new Mac minis and I was just going to do a headless one and, and absolutely just, you know what? SSH in, write some build scripts and do it. Just, you know, keep my get my Caligo would be my road machine. Yeah. Um, really, they should be, you should be able Apple, to do all this on an iPad pro by now. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Well, the iPad Pros are faster than most of the Macs. They I know. Sell. So it, exactly. It, it, it really... it's, yeah, they're. I know what the answer to this problem is because they have that very uh, liberal thirty-day return policy. It's I buy another one, or like a thirteen-inch oh, one. Take it on the use trip. It for, mm-hmm. Use it for the week I'm on the trip, and just return it. Would you though, or do you think? Do you like? I could see myself like being like, ah, I like this machine. I'm taking it back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would take it back. <laughs> no, you know, I, I have. I have to say, I've had so. Like people email the show and you you see it, they tweet me just like laughing about how, oh, how yeah. much of a just a hard time I've had with these laptops. Yeah. Like, I think they're they're just like badly made. Yeah, that keyboard was just a bad idea from the beginning, really. Uh this is this is the second replacement I will have to do. The Hulk says that maybe you should look into Hackintoshing the Galago. Yeah. Uh, the Galago's not beefy enough, I think. Well maybe. Maybe. I've I've Hackintosh some actually laptops are the hardest thing to Hackintosh. But yeah, that, and, and that there's some weird stuff. Well, man, that really does stink. That really is no good. It, it's uh, it's one of those situations too where you have you have this um, dependency on a particular type of work tool, and it's of course one of the most most expensive tools that you have. So that's what it makes it extra frustrating. And you're right; they it, don't... It actually, so I did the math. It literally is. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um. There is a temptation to just like buy a 2018 because supposedly that new keyboard it, with that new film on there, the film fixes all these problems. But. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I could see that. that. That does seem to be what the what their patent implies, too. Yeah, but that would be throwing away three thousand dollars, yes. which is basically the original. Yeah. Yeah. They almost need to have like an upgrade program like they have for the cell phones, you know, or they could build better keyboards. But let's move on. Yeah, that's true. That, yeah. that could so, yeah. yeah. Mm. One last thing before we call. Sure, it. sure. Real quick, what are your thoughts on uh, Linus's announcement regarding? Oh uh, man, <laughs> yeah, oh, five minutes or less though. Uh, so between us, wow. <clears throat> you know this is this story has dominated the the, the bulk of my yeah. brain space all week. Um, so uh, it, it's it has it has been when the news dropped, I was floored. I was I you know I've never seen Linus do anything like this before. Plus, he, you know, he always seemed very, very convinced in his particular style of management. It seemed like it was sort of his personal mantra and that he was never going to change. Um, but having now followed this story very, very closely, um, probably to an obsessive degree, I would say, and uh, you, can, you can piece together various parts of the story, and I could, we actually have a timeline that's very fascinating. So it would appear 
that Linus was contacted by The New Yorker and asked some questions last week about abusive behavior and behavior that prevents women from participating in Linux kernel development. At this point, last week, Linus knew that they were going to publish this article. Uh, and I'm sure he was genuinely embarrassed by that and probably has a sincere desire to change now that this has become very public and that he's been in the wrong. He has been, you know, verbally aggressive to a, to an extreme degree. Greg K.H. has called him childish for it. He says that, you know, Linus has uh, the language of some children, um, but they've generally been fairly good natured about it. So it would appear that then after being contacted by The New Yorker, Linus talked to various top-level kernel developers, got Greg K.H. to agree to take over and finish up the 4.19 development cycle so Linus could take some time off and maybe return some point, maybe 4.20, maybe after. Then a code of conduct was quickly chosen, and it was committed. It was agreed to by a very small handful of developers, um, I think it was signed off by six or four developers. <clears throat> if you don't include, if you don't include Linus and Greg, I think three other developers, where their previous code of conflict was signed off by like thirty or forty developers, a much larger group. Uh, Linus then makes his public announcement, and then everybody starts reacting. And it seems that this has really been something that's been building and been going to catch up with Linus for a very, very long time. Some of the people involved uh, have thrown down with Linus before, uh, Sage Sharp and others, years ago on the Linux kernel mailing list. Uh, Sage Sharp was then known as Sarah Sharp, and she was a contributor to the USB, USB 3.0 stack. So she was an active participant in the development process and uh, got into a heated argument with Linus about his behavior. And it's really been on everyone's radar pretty much since that Sarah Sage moment. And it, this has all been building uh, several, it appears, individuals went to the New Yorker to sort of expose Linus for his abusive behavior. And the New Yorker has a very strict policy of contacting any subject that is part of an article they're writing. In fact, if I remember correctly, the New Yorker has a policy that they will, at a minimum, try to contact you three times and to the best of their ability to get statements from you. Um, <clears throat> so that is what tipped off Linus that this was coming. And the New Yorker article has been published but it was slightly modified to also reflect his standing down. So sort of a hodgepodge article. When you read it, it, it starts with this is what's happened, and then it takes this massive turn to calling Linus a sexist abuser, uh, and which was going to be the original article. Um, and I think the question has become, will Linus even return? And will there be a fork of the kernel that doesn't have this code of conduct? The code of conduct is a separate issue. Um, and I don't really feel like getting into it. I feel like, uh, you know, it's it's up to the project individuals. If the individuals involved with the project that work on it day to day felt like they needed a code of conduct, then they're probably in the best position to make that determination, not some some yokel that's just watching from the outside. I think maybe my only criticism might be the specific code of conduct they chose because it's very politically charged, especially especially the individuals around it. Um, are sort of lightning rods for uh, social justice issues, and it is inherently a very politically charged document that is sort of infamous for these for these political issues. So they they picked a very well known code of conduct, but they also picked one that comes with quite a bit of controversy around it. So it, is, it has a lot of baggage. Yeah, and um, the bigger picture here is. Linus's apology. I read his apology on Linux Unplugged 267, and he seemed 
legitimately, genuinely sorry. And that he'd really realized he had been, like, he writes in there that he thought in the effort for the best patch that this was excusable. And now he says he realizes that wasn't true and he sincerely apologizes. That could have ripple effects throughout open source. I think a lot of projects have taken the meritocracy inspiration from all great Linus and have sort of used that as their justification to maybe be a little abusive, which is a charged word. But my 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 thinking about this with, with Linus's behavior was, imagine if I treated Wes Joe or Angela or you that way when there was a mistake made in the show. Um, you know, because these are live productions. These go out to thousands of people. Right. Uh, it's how we make our living. You know, if you make a mistake, it's a big deal. And I, you know, how the F could you do something like this? You're effing destroying us. You know, like you could, it just, it would create a toxic work environment here. It would be, everybody would hate me. Every, it would be, I, I would be feared, not liked. It would be an awful work environment if every time you made a mistake, I flew off the handle and started cu- cussing you out. And I, I know that does happen in private industry. I mean, we all know some famous CEOs that are well known for doing it. Um, but it doesn't make it okay. It, it makes it awful for everybody else that has to get that shit rained on them. And so if I, when I put, when I, when I put myself in Linus's position and imagine myself behaving that way, it felt wrong. It felt like that was too much. Abusive. Right. It's, it's abusive. Seen, yeah. it's, it is abusive, I guess. It's verbally abusive. Yeah, it, it's just not a good way to run a business either. So I, I respect and appreciate that he seems to have had a self-reflective moment and is owning it, saying it's his fault, and then apologizing for it and taking time away to really reflect on it and like not be focused on work but re- be reflect but be focused on himself. He even implies in there that he may be getting professional help. Um, I think that's respectable, and I think that is an applaudable move. And uh, he is an important contributor to technology, and I think if somebody in his position can do this, I think it sets a good example for people in other open-source projects and maybe even in corporations. So I think him acknowledging this and stepping aside, as long as he comes back, (laughs) is a good thing. If he doesn't come back, I think it would be a loss. See, that's, that's the part that wasn't clear to me was, I, like, I actually kind of agree with, I do agree with the criticism on Linus. I always felt that, you know, especially as I've gotten more and more involved in, like, going to Linux events and stuff, there's just, like, a, people just aren't nice. I don't even know what to say, right? Like, there's there's a few personalities um, that, yeah, kind of, like, well, you know how, like, Apple guys fake act like Steve Jobs? Kind of guys used to act like Linus and, like, yell at everybody, right? Oh, you're a moron if you don't know how to do this or whatever. Um, but for him to be permanently like out seems, I don't know. I don't, I, 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 I guess it, it just seems like too much. The other thing, and this is what I would be more concerned with. I hope there's not serious talk about a fork. I think people are waiting to see what happens. Yeah. That would be awful. Yeah. And how could you, and if there's that one fork, there'd probably, there'd probably be many forks if that happens. Right. Maybe each major I mean, distro I, forks. Well, and it also we have we have a lot of these big commercial players uh, in the community now. I'm thinking of you, Microsoft. It seems like the community shooting itself in the 
like I've seen some of the, I'm sure you have too, the forums and the mid oh, man. going on. Woo! Yeah. Like, yeah. It's worse than the system D stuff. He'll, he, not as bad as the unity stuff though. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I think it's not likely because the way these code of conducts are applied is literally a, a patch is applied to the, to the kernel source tree. And you can, right. you could apply future patches that could be a revision too that maybe use more clarifying language and outline perhaps more roles of the enforcers. That so the enforcers is the technical advisory board, which I think is ten people at the Linux Foundation, and um, there's really nothing outlined there and what their clear responsibilities are. It's just if you have an issue, email them. Uh, it's very vague, and it's very vague on what their reach and extent is. Uh, so I, I would I think they could do a a patch that is a rev two that maybe changes some of this or reclarifies some of the language. It's it's based on the covenant code of conduct. It doesn't have to be the exact copy of it. So yeah, I I I, I would hope that that is the route this goes. Is that they just refine the document to be better reflective and better um, more specific, and then avoid a fork. It's, you know, it's just a patch. I don't know. I hope so. I hope I, so. I mean, the, the, just some of the some of the rhetoric around it's getting a little already just a little heated. But we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I think it was time. I think we're seeing this a lot of open source communities too. Right? That's where, it. I You know, I've worked in environments where inside a, you know, a, a company where there's been somebody who is just, you know, they're a cursor, they're a yeller. And it's their way of of managing a lot of stuff coming in. It's you know you cut down the people that don't do right, and I think there's people. I think we all know this is that this is a common thing that does happen, but it feels like Linux, being 27 years old, is at a point where it can sustain another transition. We we can afford to be a little more inclusive because it's not a make or break, die hard, scrappy little project that's going up against. Netware and and Unix and and Microsoft Windows NT, it it has won. It's taken over the industry, and so right. And Linus himself says this in his post. There are other what he calls pain points where they've had to make transitions and you know switch to like Git and from Bitbucket and or move around their their the way the patches work and who's in charge of it. And uh, you know, there's been other pain points that were massive massive transitions they've had to make. They just weren't as political as this one. Um, so that's why I do hope he makes it back because he's been there for all those other transitions and he has yeah. weathered those storms and I think properly stewarded the kernel to, uh, the next phase. And so he has proven that he has a track record of being able to do that. He's proven he has a track record of building one of the world's best kernels, um, ever. And, uh, it, and the market has rewarded him and Linux for it. There's also people now that are attacking the foundation, trying to call for people to harass the sponsors to get, uh, someone thrown off the technical advisory board. And there is also people that are posting the salaries of Linus and Greg and everybody else and making a big stink about it. Everybody's freaked out and blown away that uh, Linus in 2016 or something like that made $1.6 million or $1.3 million as a salary. But to me, uh, relatively, yes, that's a lot of money. But to the, to the industry, for anybody high up in the industry, it's not. You know, it's for as an example... In 2016, Johnny Ive just got a 30 million dollar bonus. Just a, or, or, or was it might even have been 60 million, just it a bonus. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, right? like 
He's got hundreds of millions in stock options. And and my point is, is Tim Cook's doing all right, too. Like these yeah. the Linux Foundation and this entire industry that runs Linux would not exist without Linus. So the fact that the foundation I and mean, all those fat cats at the foundation that are sitting around doing management stuff wouldn't have a payroll. They would have to go out and do other jobs if it wasn't for Linus. So the fact that the top guy who created this thing is making 1.6 mil is not a great deal. It's not, it's not, not, that's not relatively as much money as it could be. No. In 2000, Steve Jobs offered him a job to come work for Apple. He'd probably be way, way richer if he had taken Steve Jobs' job offer in 2000. So yeah, 1.6 is a lot, but I don't think it's worth the witch hunt that's brewing over it on Twitter right now. I agree. Well, Mr. Dominic, anything else you feel like uh, getting off your chest before we get out of here? Or are you ready to go stand in line at that Apple store? I'm ready to go stand in line at the Genius Bar. <laughs> well, in the meantime, people should go check out the new project, griffinradar.com. Is that what it was? That's right. And anything else you want to plug? Uh, at Dumanuku on Twitter and Brilliant. Uh, Linux Academy. There you go. Yeah, Linux Academy has a two ninety nine sale going on. And I mention this because ex- they extended it. That's less than $30 a month, and it locks that price in forever, as long as you remember, for all their new content and everything. And it's going on right now. I think it ends on the 24th. It's a pretty good deal. So it's worth it's worth checking out. I'm at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. Go follow him at Dumanuko. And a big thank you to Mr. Payne, Mr. Wes Payne, for filling in while I was out. Much appreciated. Everybody loves Wes. In fact, maybe we'll read some thank of those you. love letters next week. Thanks oh, for joining yeah. us, everybody. <laughs>